You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. My name is Dave Grothy, and this is my wife, the wife of my youth, which we'll talk about later. And this summer we're married 33 years, and we're... All because of you. Becky Becky serves here on the staff as the associate pastor and director of membership and guest relations. She coordinates the New Life Next uh, track, and uh, she does just a whole lot here around the church. If you ever get to go to Guest Central, you'll meet Becky and her team of really friendly and generous and hospitable people after every service in the back there at Guest Central. We uh, have been in ministry and served in pastoral ministry all of our married life. We got married and had two more semesters to finish. We were both, well, at least I was on the 10-semester plan. I couldn't finish in eight. And Becky decided to stay around another couple semesters and get a couple more certifications in her degree. And uh, It was really just to keep an eye on you. Just to keep an eye on me. So the first year we were married and working full-time in ministry and going to school full-time, and then we've served on church staff. It was really just to fight off all the other women who were <laughs> chasing you. She's hijacking my story, which I'm used to. So we want to ask you a couple questions today before we get started. Would all of the married couples in the room please stand? All right, remain standing. Okay. If you've been married for five years or longer, raise your hands. Okay, it's a little competition here. Three years. Newlyweds. Three years or okay. Everybody that's been married. Okay, remain standing. Remain standing. Who's been married less than six months? Ah. Aha. Six months or less. Where are you? Right here. You get an extra bagel. When was the wedding? Oh, wow. not even three weeks. God bless you. Now, everybody sit down except the three-year couples. Here's the standoff. When's your wedding anniversary? 2007? Ah, the old couple right here. God bless you. It'd be four years this year. God bless you. So we've got three weeks and four years. The oldlyweds and the newlyweds. And if you're dating, or no, let's, let's do it this way. If you're engaged currently to be married, would you stand? Aha. Okay, remain standing. Tell us when the wedding is. July 9. July 26 or June? Okay. All righty. 10, 10, 10. When's the wedding? Great. We pray God's blessings on you all this summer. We look forward to a long, long and happy life. You get nothing. No free bagels, nothing. <laughs> Just get each other. On our wedding night, uh, which was... I didn't a, know we were talking about that. Well, you, <laughs> on our wedding night, we got married at four in the afternoon in Lewiston, Idaho, right on the Lewis-Clark Trail. Becky was raised on the Lewis-Clark Trail. And... Uh, and we got beautiful uh, friends there, and 
the Indian tribe that she, she was raised on the Nez Perce Indian Reservation, tribal headquarters in her hometown of Lapway, Idaho. They went out that morning and caught fresh salmon out of the Clearwater River and the Snake River and cooked them and smoked them and brought them for our wedding feast, part of our... It was a wonderful event. But I was really, really, really excited to get on the honeymoon. So we got in the car... And we had to drive two hours. You know, the only place to go on a honeymoon really close to Idaho there was the town of Spokane, Washington. Not exactly St. Lucia, but it was yeah, beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So we had to drive like 95 miles to get there. And, and I was kind of in a little hurry and had an interesting visit with the uh, Washington State Highway Patrol on the way to Spokane. And he walks up, you know, I saw the lights, I pulled over, and I'm thinking, i got, got to get on the road here, make this quick. And uh, the highway patrolman walked up and said, you're doing a little bit uh, fast there. And he, he was smiling because the car was all painted up, you know, just married and had balloons and streamers and <laughs> cans, and it was kind of obvious. He said, you're kind of going a little fast there through that last town. I said, yes, sir. Yeah, um, I really apologize. Becky's, you know, sitting next to me in a, in a Actually, bench Actually, it was, it was bucket seats. You were sitting next to me, though, close. Oh. Oh. And he, he looks in, he says, afternoon, ma'am. And I said, I'm sorry, we're, we're on our way to our honeymoon. And he smiled. He said, I know. <laughs> Please slow down and take it easy and have a great evening. <laughs> so I got a warning. I got off with a warning. But you know, it's not a bad way to start a marriage with a little bit of a warning. Take it slow and be there for the long haul. This is a, this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And uh, this is the lady I want to be married to 50 years from now. I, I wanna, I, this is the, the wife that uh, I took as a young man and the lady that I want to be with for the rest of our lives. So I want to encourage all of us today to think in terms of what the Bible says and what the world says. Here's our family, and uh, the little girls here in the front is, uh, the girl holding the little girl in the front is our youngest daughter, Anna. She's not married. She's getting married July 23rd. She and her fiancé, Stephen Zarlingo, will be married in Tulsa on the 23rd of July. And then the three little girls in the pink there in the center are the two of them are the ones that got dedicated today. Our daughter, Christine, her husband, David King, their three daughters. On the far uh, right of your picture is Daniel Grothy, who's one of the associate pastors here at the mill. His wife, Lisa, and their two children, uh, Lillian and, and Wilson. And then on the far side are Jessica and Brad Sheesby. Brad is a wonderful musician and also the web developer here at the church. Jessica leads uh, part of the children's ministry along with her sister, Christine, and their children, Braden and Emma. We have seven grandchildren under four, and uh, hoping for some more, and looking forward to that day. I want to ask you this question to, as we begin. What do we know for sure about marriage in the world? Anybody got any ideas? What does the world say about marriage? Yes, sir. It's hard. That's a fact. Overrated. Any other adjectives, descriptors?
Physical and emotional are stressed on the front side in the world, especially the physical. Let's just suffice to say that the world has it wrong. Sin has distorted and perverted everything God made good and called good. And I want to just caution you as you move this direction that you don't let the world influence your ideas about what a good marriage will be. Marriage has been redefined in our generation. Marriage used to be between one man and one woman for the rest of their lives. Now it can be between a man and a woman for six months or six years or whenever they get tired of each other or decide it's too hard or irreconcilable or we're just, you know, we're just not there and we've fallen out of love and we have drifted apart and all of the and other I'm reasons. I'm just not happy. Just not happy. The world thinks it's a contract that can be easily broken, easily entered into, easily broken, on to the next thing, selfishly. But really, we know something different from the Lord. It is a covenant. Say covenant. Covenant. Much different than a contract. It's not a 50-50 deal. It's a 100-100 proposition from a man and a woman. What do we know for sure about marriage in the Scripture? And that's where we want to start today. If you're taking notes, please just write these references and anything that the Lord says to you about them. We know that in the beginning it was not good that man should be alone. Here's the verse. Genesis 2.18. The Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Now here's God at the end of a wonderful week of creation. He made the earth. It was good. Light from darkness was good. Water from dry land was good. Animals was good. Uh, living things and fr- fruit and vegetation. It was good, 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 good. Until he made man, and it was the first time God ever said, it's not good. Now, I want to say this to you guys. We're just dirt. We were created from the dust of the ground. God blew into our mouths and nostrils the breath of life. But after he did that, he looked around and said, it's not good. That man should be alone. 2.18, Genesis. Ladies, let me just ask you to smile. Sit up a little straighter. Hold your head up straight. I'm going to tell you something that will change your life. Ladies, you are God's answer to something that wasn't good. And I want you to know that the value that you carry as a woman is compared to nothing else. Your calling as a woman, as a wife, he says, I will make a helper suitable for him. Your calling as a suitable companion, one that's called and suited for the man that you're called for. Guys, we're just dirt. If we are that, she's prime rib. higher creation, much more valuable, much more uh, refined. refined. We'll talk about it a little bit. How do you feel about that, Prime? I I feel really good about that. You know, we get asked uh, a lot about lists. We get asked from um, 
young people who are not yet married about, what do you think about making a list of what you're looking for? Or sometimes they don't ask, they just say, well, I have a list, and, you know, this passage says, I'll make a helper suitable for him. Do you know God knows what should be on your list much better than you do? Dave and I have talked about this, that if we had written a list, I wouldn't be on his list and he wouldn't be on my list. What are some of the things that would have been on your list that I'm not? <laughs> I, I give you permission. Wait a minute. Okay, go ahead. Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm six, five and a half or so. I, I think four or five inches would have, extra would have been on my list. Actually, he, and he got four or five inches, but it went this <laughs> way over the years. Actually, um, he said to me, this was after we were engaged, he looked at me one day and he said, I wish you were 5'11". I'm, I'm just a little over 5'3". So I said, I can't believe you said that. Why don't you say something that I have some control over? Like, I wish you were more outgoing, or I wish you were less outgoing, or I wish you smiled more, or, but I wish you were 5'11". It was so unfair, and I let him know that. So that would she have been... said, tell me something I can change. Yeah. So that would have been on his list. He, another thing that would have been on his list, probably in his top ten, was that his wife played the piano. Because he's a, he's a musician, worship leader, and, you know, he, he would have wanted... Can I tell you a story about that? kind of like the policeman on the way to the honeymoon, only a lot different. So he's wanting, he's picturing on his list, 5'11", plays the piano, probably sings, but not as well as him. And, uh, you know, because then you get into kind of a competitive thing, which isn't good. Okay. So we had been dating for three years at Oral Roberts University. And, um, he broke up with me. Come on, girls. <gasps> so after three years, he came to me and, and he said, you know, we've reached a place where we either need to just get married or not. And uh, so he's choosing not. <laughs> so he broke up with me, which... You look like you want to say something. I wasn't that mature. Yeah. I wasn't ready. I, I, I d Just I leave it at you weren't that mature. <laughs> so he broke up with me. I'm devastated. You know, just think my life is over. All the girls on my floor at school and everybody that knew me turned against him. Death you know, threats. it was a bad thing. So the next thing, and we don't have time for you to tell your part of this story. So, because in the interest of time, I'll tell this one. You could tell another one. So then shortly thereafter, like within a week or two, I see him walking across campus with my best friend. <gasps> there I got guys and girls. Okay. 
And my best friend, guess what? She wasn't 5'11", but she played the piano. And she sang not quite as good as him. So he has in his mind this girl that has been his accompanist for three years. And he's got this thing thinking, maybe I'm supposed to marry her. Because she's more the list. So it didn't take long. It was, he saw me with hunk of the world and didn't like that. And actually, I don't know what in, in the mill and the mill Sunday school you teach about kissing before you get married. Moving right along. So anyway, if it's okay if you don't, that's, you're to be commended, but we did. So he actually kissed this girl, and that was it. It was like, nope, she's not it. Back over to Becky, and 33 years later, it's a little bit longer story. (laughs) There's more to that story, but I don't, maybe in the next three weeks, we'll cover a little bit more of that. I sure hope so. (laughs) Talk about being hung out to dry. But anyway... But anyway, um, so lists. So be guarded. If you create lists, we have a very good friend in Tulsa who has, and she's beautiful and remarkable, gifted, talented. And she created a list a long time ago. And on that list were some things that uh, are going to be really difficult to happen. Like one of them is, and she's not shallow, so I hate to even say this, but one of them is that he'll be a millionaire. And so she's almost 37 and just so gifted and gorgeous, and but nobody has fit the list yet. And we're telling her, get married and then help him become a millionaire. You know, don't, but we, we encourage a list that has something like loves God uh, has a good work ethic, um, kind to people, those kinds of things. But you have to be careful that if you create a list, it's not a shallow, um, shallow list. I'm not shallow. Did you want to ask me what was on my list that no, you wouldn't? No, I have? don't want to ask okay. anything about that. <clears throat> All right. I think I know. All right. Complete this verse for me. Some of you have read it. Some of you don't look it up yet, but. When you hear the word from Proverbs 18.22, whoever finds a wife, okay, some of you completed it, whoever finds a wife, finds a good thing, is there a period there? Okay. I, I, I want to encourage especially the men. From this verse, from Proverbs chapter 18, 22. Whoever finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains the favor of the Lord. This is something that's so overlooked. It's not just, oh, it's not good that man should be alone, so here's the helper. God provides a suitable companion. That's good. That's a good thing. But notice, men, he says, and obtains, finds the favor of God. The favor of God cannot be purchased. It cannot be earned. It cannot be something you put yourself in the proper position and then God will favor you. He says finding a wife is great, but something comes along with it that cannot be measured in dollars 
in time. It's just God's favor. It's as if the Lord says, okay, I'm smiling at you now in a way I've never smiled at you. Be blessed. And men, I want you to believe for God's favor to come to you in a brand new way. My future son-in-law in seven weeks, Stephen came all the way to Idaho on a Thanksgiving trip to, to propose, not to propose, but to, to ask Becky and I if he could propose and if we would give our blessing. And he was going to do that in about 60 days after Thanksgiving, and he wanted to talk with us about it. And I said, Stephen, tell me what Proverbs 18, he said, well, it's wonderful. He said, whoever finds a wife finds a good thing. And, and he stopped, period. And I said, is that all it says? And we had this conversation, and he opened his Bible, and he says, oh, my goodness, I've read this, but I never saw the favor of God. And it was revelation. I could just see a glow begin to come to his heart when he thought about the favor of God coming to him as a result of finding his wife. Now, ladies, I want to say this. Take the pressure off yourself. Notice it says, he finds you. Whoever finds a wife. You don't need to go find him. You don't need to say, hey, pick me, pick me, pick me, pick me. (laughs) He'll find you. God will show him. The favor of God, the spotlight of God will be on your life. The connection is something that God makes. So notice, we know that God's favor comes when a man finds a wife. You go ahead. Proverbs 5.18. We know that a man is to rejoice with the wife of his youth. I was 21 when we got married. We turned tw- I turned 22 three weeks later. Becky turned 22 two months later. We're, you know, forget what, how beautiful her beauty is so much younger than me. She's only two months younger than I am. For, and my, my hair deceives a lot of people. People look at her and think, why are you with that old guy? Your fountain, guys. This is talking about your intimate moment. May your fountain be blessed. May you rejoice with the wife of your youth. She's the wife of my youth, the wife of my middle age, and the wife of my old age. That's how God plans it for us, that we will be married. Some of the traditional wedding vows talk about for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. As long as you both shall live till death do us part. Whatever those old traditional wedding vows have said, they're still very, very applicable today. And I plan to be married to her until Jesus comes or until one or both of us go to see him. That's our plan. And I think as an aside, this is the comfort and the safety and the confidence that your children benefit from. They are the beneficiaries of your commitment to one another. Our kids have never, ever wondered, mom and dad mad at each other, going to get a divorce, they're going to be separated. Your kids don't need to carry that dark cloud of anticipation of some separation in a marriage. Our kids knew from the moment they were able to understand, mom and dad aren't going anywhere. We're not leaving. We're We're not going to have that in our home. It's a commitment that you make. Can I say one more thing about that? You know, when, when we think about the wife of our youth, um, I, I looked quite a bit different on our wedding day than I look 33 years later. 
our daughter Anna is getting ready for her wedding, and and uh, you know we're both on a weight loss plan. I am so I can feel somewhat decent in a mother of the bride dress. But um, after 33 years and four children, we have twins. Our daughters are twins, and they're 29. Daniel's 27, and Anna's 22. And um, uh, so when I had my twins, I, I gained 52 pounds. And they were each, um, one was a little over 7 pounds, one was a little under 7 pounds. So I was pretty enormous and stretched out and um, stretch marks that go back around to my spine. You guys don't understand that because there's only three of you in here that are even married. Do any of you have children? Okay, okay. Well, a couple of you get that then. But I have, uh, because when we got married, we made a commitment to each other for the rest of our lives, and not in a um, shallow or uh, light way. We made a serious commitment. And girls, I want to tell you, and this this goes both ways, but I want to speak especially to you young ladies. You need to be sure that whoever you marry is a person of integrity that isn't um, just concerned with the physical appearance, because that doesn't last very long. You know, some some women age really, really well and, and hold their shape and their muscle tone and everything until they're 80, but not very many. I told Jordan Haley the other day, you know, he's a trainer, and I said, Jordan, I really need for you to help me with my triceps or biceps, or both. And he said, why? And I said, because they're hanging. And that's what happens. Things start hanging after a few years. (laughs) Like it or not. And so it takes a lot of work to not have that happen to you. And so if, if you marry a guy that is shallow and just all about how good-looking, and how you make him look. Some guys just want to have a pretty girl to um, make themselves feel better and to deal with some cover some kind of insecurity they themselves have. But I knew and I learned early, you know, I was so apologetic to my husband about the, the things that were happening as I was gaining 52 pounds of babies. And he'd say, you have never been more beautiful. You are beautiful. You have, and he really meant it. And he really meant it. And, uh, and, and now, 33 years later, when I'm a little self-conscious about some of those things, I know he could care less. He doesn't say things like, you think you want, we might want to drop a few pounds? Or do you think we could hire Jordan? Or... You know, any of those things. He says things that make me feel very um, positive and very loved. So if you're dating a guy who's really shallow and who says, man, you should really comb your hair before we go anywhere. Or, you know, you know what I'm saying. Come talk to me if you're dating somebody like that because I'm going to help you kind of work through that. That was just, that's not on our notes. And we're going to talk more about 
that later. One more thing we know for sure from Scripture. We know that a husband and a wife are to submit themselves to one another. I do a lot of premarital counseling. Right now, there are 20 couples that I'm working with that are getting married between now and October. Some of them here at the mills, others that are uh, just part of the church, a little older. And I had one young lady, I, I asked uh, generally in the first session, what are your expectations of our sessions together prior to your wedding? And she said, well, I, I just want to learn how to submit. And I smiled because <laughs> I knew where she was getting that. From him. Yeah. And I just kind of looked at him, and he was going. But notice what this says in Ephesians. You need to write this down and meditate and ponder this, men and women. Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Historically and religiously, people preach this starting with the next verse on verse 22, where it very very plainly says, wives, submit to your husbands. But back up one verse right here. Submit to one another. Paul is teaching here, and I I want you to read it in context. From verse 21 to the end of chapter 5, that is a contextual teaching on mutual submission. Mutual submission. Verse 21, submit to each other. Verse 22, wives, this is how you do it. Give yourself to your husband as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. God holds the husband. The buck stops with you, buddy. I'm holding you responsible for the spiritual condition of your family. I'm holding you responsible for the spiritual condition and the love that your wife feels and support. And you're the, head of, you're the provider. You're the protector. You are in charge of what happens in your family. But then two verses later, he says, husbands, in this whole context of submitting one to another, he says, husbands, this is how you do it. You give yourself for her as Christ gave himself for the church. You lay down your life for her just as Jesus laid down his life for the church. So wives, you submit this way. Husbands, you submit this way. We mutually submit to one another. And this is a new idea in many men's heads. And in many religious circles where the husband is in charge and you do what I say and you bow down and lick my feet and have the meal and call me Lord. You'd be surprised. You're laughing, but it's true. Many chauvinist men. I had one guy walking down the hall. I'm meeting them. I'm walking down the hall toward my office. I went out to the couch and at the reception area where they were waiting for me and they were walking down. And I just watched. And I opened the door to my office and stood back. And he walked right in front of her and went in and sat down. And I took a little mental note. I'll I'll watch and see if a guy's walking down the hall. And if he steps back and prefers her or holds the door for her or goes in front of her. Walking over here. Walking over here 10, 20 minutes ago from the baby dedication. I'm looking at my watch. I'm saying, we got to go. Got to go. You know, my long legs carry me a little faster than hers do. And I heard her say more than once, you need to slow down. And I said, don't walk in don't front walk of in me. Don't walk in front of me. Don't walk in front of me. Brother Long Legs. 
He said, walk a little faster. I don't walk a little faster. So it's been an ongoing thing for me to prefer my wife. Notice what, I'll just tell you, read, gentlemen, read Ephesians 5, 21 through the end of the chapter with that thought in mind that the keystone verse is submitting yourselves one to another out of reverence for Christ. What else do we know? We know that the Lord made godly marriage a place to raise godly offspring. Having babies is part of God's plan. We thought before we got married that we would want to have five children. I'm an only child. I wanted to have a large family for that reason. Becky came from a family of several children. She wanted to have a large family for that reason. We were going to have five. And then they started coming two at a time, so we backed off and thought, (laughs) maybe we need to rethink this. And then Daniel came 19 months after the girls were born, and so it was like three triplet almost. And then we thought, we'll wait five years and then have our... We always knew we would have another one. We just waited. Here's what Malachi says. Has not the Lord made them one? Whenever God asks a question, made them one. one. (laughs) Two become one. Has not the Lord made them one? Yes. In flesh and spirit, they are his. And why one? Why did God want a man and a woman to be one? Because he, God, was seeking godly offspring. Marriage is not just about being a single couple, about doing your own thing and traveling. We did. We, tr- we, we got married, and then we enjoyed being a single couple for about three years before we became pregnant with the twins. We enjoyed being in our home by ourselves. We enjoyed traveling together. We enjoyed having a, a, a life, kind of just the two of us. But we know from God's plan that it is his idea to have godly offspring So, for that reason, notice what he says, guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. I know some young men that are not 30 and they've been married three times. You do too. You've seen people get married and get divorced on a fluke. Almost like a dare. I dare you. Okay, I'll get married. Hmm. It's not anything to be taken lightly. It's a sobering decision to think about giving yourself and making a commitment for the rest of your life. The Scripture says, don't make a vow that you cannot or will not keep. It's better not to make a vow than to make one that you don't plan to keep or cannot keep. So, godly offspring's part of it. I always am interested to see when... Couples are planning to have children. How soon after the marriage they're planning to have children? Four months is not a good plan. I was asked one time, what, is it, what does it really take? What does it require? What's a prerequisite to being a good father? And my answer is, about nine months of being a good husband. Some of you will get that later. Here's something else we know from the Scripture. We're hurrying to finish. We know that marriage is a holy covenant and that God hates divorce. And that Moses only granted divorce because it was their hardness of their heart. They challenged Jesus on this in the New Testament. Well, Jesus, what do you think? Moses gave him a a divorce decree, and Jesus replied, yeah, because of the hardness of their heart. Long-term, loving, and successful marriage is a hard issue. So you've got to guard your heart. You've got to keep your heart right all through your marriage. 
Keep your heart right toward the Lord. Keep your heart right toward each other. Malachi, again, chapter 2, verse 14 and 16. God says, I hate divorce. I hate a man's covering himself with violence as well as with his garment. And the Lord God Almighty says this, guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith. So marriages that are in trouble, marriages that are going sideways and, and having a lot of problems after the marriage is a heart issue. Either one or both of the, the husband or the wife have got some heart problems. And I'm not just talking about the beating, pumping of the blood. I'm talking about their heart is not right. So when you get married, keeping your heart right is the biggest issue. We, in, in our years of dealing with couples, young couples and older couples, I think we could probably narrow it down to one of the biggest issues and heart issues is in selfishness or pride, in thinking um, my way is right. And as soon as you figure that out, we'll be a lot happier. I want what I want. Yeah. And uh, so when people, when couples are willing to lay down their life for each other and their personal preferences and uh, put their pride aside as far as who's right and who's wrong, and uh, uh, then there's most issues can be pretty easily resolved. Uh, I know that the arguments that we have had, and the first one that we had, when do we finish here? As soon as we get through these next three verses. Oh, well, the first argument we had was uh, over a, a wedding gift that we received. We were opening our gifts in our little house, and um, we opened this picture of Jesus. It was from my cousin Darlene, and... Uh, it was real. It was a big gold ornate looking frame with black a black velvet mat. Can you picture it? And then this real. Um, can you have a gaudy picture of Jesus? Is that? Yeah, real religious, and it was big. The frame was big. Everything about it was just kind of tacky, except for the fact that it was Jesus. And so we opened it, and Dave said, uh, you know, and I'm thinking, it's from Darlene, my cousin Darlene. So he said, uh, we're not going to hang that in this house. We've just been married like four days, and he's already starting in. So I said, what do you mean we're not going to hang that? It's from Darlene. He said, we're not hanging that picture in this house. I said, well, yes, we are. We're going to hang it in the entryway. And he said, we're not hanging that picture in this house. Now, he's not real forceful like that and, and dogmatic and bossy. Well, sometimes he is. but So I couldn't, I was so surprised. So I started crying. And I said, I am the queen of this hope. <laughs> and I'm in charge of all decorations. And... We are going to hang that picture in the front hallway. And he said, we're not hanging that picture in this house. So then, uh, you know, I was just, I couldn't believe it. And we had all these gifts left open. I thought, okay, what's going to happen next? So then he said, do you know why? And then he softened. He said, do you know why we're not going to hang that in here? And I said, no. And he said, 
because we had a picture of Jesus hanging in our house my whole childhood, and he no more lived there. And he said, we're not hanging that picture in this house. So see, there was an underlying reason and a hurt in his heart. He grew up in an abusive, violent home. Yet there was a picture of Jesus that hung in the entryway in his house. And when he saw that one, he said, you know, Jesus is going to live here, but it's not going to be represented by a gaudy picture of him. It's going to be represented by the way we love and care for each other. So I compromised on hanging that picture. There was a coat closet right inside the front door. We hung it inside the coat closet. So we said in our thank you note to Darlene, Dear Darlene, thank you for the picture of Jesus. It's hanging right inside our front door. We better quit. Two, two more verses. First Peter 3. Guys, particularly, listen to this. We know that a man should treat his wife in a loving and considerate way, and that his prayers may be hindered by the way he treats his wife. I know how all of the mill men pray. They're dedicated. They love God. They're sold out. They, they've made a commitment to live for God. But he says here in First Peter, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wife. Treat them, treat your wife with respect as the weaker partner. She's not weaker emotionally. She's not weaker intellectually. She's not weaker spiritually. She's not weaker. He's talking about she's the, the more delicate creation. She's the more refined. She's the one that's 5'3 and you're 6'3. She's that to you. She's not weaker. She's more delicate. And you treat her that way because you're going to be heirs. She's the heir with you of the grace, gracious gift of life. And do this. Live considerately with her so that nothing will hinder your prayers. I hear men complaining, I'm just not hearing from God. I'm not getting any answers to my prayers. Oh, I'm my business and I just can't seem to. And I'm, I'm all the time thinking, how do you treat your wife? Are you mean to her? Are you selfish with her? Are you bossy with her? Are you, how do you treat her? And this verse that we know from Hebrews 13, marriage is to be protected and honored. He says marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. I'm just going to say this. Don't allow the world. Don't bring the world into your intimacy. Don't allow the world's ideas about what good sex is, about what how, you know, all that kind of stuff. And every magazine cover you see at the check stand. Honey, there's only three people in this room, four counting us, who are having sex. Got it. When the time comes, when the time comes, make sure that you keep your purity throughout your marriage. He says, God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Men and women both protect your intimacy. And then this verse, which we'll finish with, Jesus taught us that we are one and that we should stay together. Matthew nineteen six. So they are no longer two, but one. No longer independent, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Don't let anything or anyone separate your marriage. Now, we're going to talk over the next three weeks 
every Sunday morning, starting at 9.30, right on time. Thank you for allowing us to be at Baby Dedication this morning. We're going to talk over the next three weeks about how do we practically put these ideas from Scripture into our marriage. How do they work? How do we live together? You know, I just saw Shrek with my daughter in 3D the other day. Well-told story. Shrek ever Don't after. give it away. Shrek ever after. And it's kind of a wonderful life told by Shrek. But the thing that I carried away from that was all the fairy tale allusions that are mentioned. And it's so well written. All the gingerbread man and, and all the three blind mice. And everybody in Shrek is a, is a big smile to me. But in a fairy tale, they live happily ever after. Things always seem to turn out okay in the end. I, I don't want to paint marriage as a fairy tale. It is hard work. It is a definite commitment that has to be kept and lived out every day. But in the endurance, as you run this race and endure to the end, as Paul taught us, I believe you can enjoy. I believe God just didn't call us to just endure. He, call, he called us to enjoy. He says, rejoice with the wife of your youth. Rejoice and enjoy each other. Live happily ever after. Live happily. And it's not just a fairy tale. It is a plan that God has, has designed for husbands and wives to really enjoy their life together. And in God, we can. Without it, it's going to be a big struggle. Without his word, without his spirit, without a commitment to one another in God. But we want to talk and encourage you over the next three weeks. Bring a friend. Tell the young married couples you know to come join us and have breakfast. And we will see you next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us. And thank you for giving us love for each other. Thank you for calling us into your plan. And I'm blessing, Lord, those marriages that are here and those that are headed to the altar here in the next few weeks. We thank you for it. Thank you for marriages at New Life to be strengthened with your love. Take away strife, selfishness, and help us to love each other unselfishly and give ourselves to each other in the way you've called us to as husbands and wives. I bless the mill, Lord. I thank you for the place that you've called us to connect and to fellowship with one another. I'm praying, Lord, that your will would be done in every relationship and that your kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit would be felt and realized in every relationship. Your will be done, your kingdom come, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.